I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Live, Laugh, Leaf Stanley Cup edition, which means it doesn't involve the Toronto Maple Leafs. For Mike Stevens, we move forward uh, closer to the second round now. This Stanley Cup playoff tournament is going... uh, a little faster than I expected. Uh, I'll let you comment on that. But first, I, I got to know how you're doing. What's what's new in the world of Mike Stevens uh, and his uh, brand new condo? Are you breaking that baby in yet or what? I am. You know, I'm, I'm starting to move some things in. I was going to get a TV stand moved in here today because right now I either have it on the floor or on my desk. And I'm using my desk right now. So... Uh, a little, little tough on that, in that regard, but apparently you're the one with the with the condo uh, uh, issue, not issues, I'd say, but more. Oh, like there is, there are issues. Oh, okay. Issues. Do you want to vent a little issues. bit before we get into into the NHL stuff? Because I feel like nah. you, you've been raring to go with this. I don't think anyone needs to hear about my uh, <laughs> my my renovation concerns, but let's just say it's not exactly uh, the least stressful thing that I've endured in my life. And while it's mm-hmm. going, it's happening simultaneous with the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, at least it gives me somewhere to go when all this is happening. I can actually hide at the rink, and that's the only refuge I have from uh, dust and other things of that nature, I guess. What's great is I, I thought I planned my lease on my last uh, apartment to coincide with a dead point in the offseason. You know, it was, it was great. It was supposed to expire yes. at the end of, of August. It, it was exactly when, you know, everything, nothing was going to be going on. And then the pandemic happened, and now it's the busiest time of the year while moving in every it's it's been crazy so i i feel it It hasn't been i like the way you put that it hasn't been the least stressful thing i've ever dealt with but it's good stress i'd say it's nice yeah uh well i mean for now on for for now we're gonna have to deal with it but uh there are a few teams that can get back to the things that they have to attend to in their home Mm -hmm. life because uh we just finished elimination wednesday in the nhl but there's you know other teams have dropped out before that as well so uh we're getting down to sort of the elite teams and you're starting to see I mean, we always knew that there was sort of a divide between the 16 teams. Yeah, there was a couple good ones in there that were playing to get into the final 16, I guess, uh, or the regular traditional Stanley Cup format. Uh, but we always knew the big boys were, you know, waiting. They were, they were in the round robin. They were waiting for the teams uh, to come out. And we're really seeing a few of the elite teams flex their muscles and I think we should begin with the Boston Bruins in that respect, mm-hmm. or I guess inversely with the Carolina Hurricanes, who we both had a lot of uh, expectations for. I believe we both picked them to go through the Eastern Conference. Very excited about what they did against the New York Rangers, uh, but didn't completely uh, pan out the way I think we expected. And But I want to start with the Hurricanes because we're going to kind of do a couple post-mortems here because there's going to be time to talk about the Boston Bruins and obviously the conversation will naturally include them. So uh, Jim, just give me your take on on what happened to Carolina. How did they go from uh, this dominant team in the qualification round to a team that kind of went out with a whimper? I mean, well, they lost arguably their best player, right? Like in, in uh, Svechnikov, like it's, mm. I keep, I keep mixing up the two Svechnikovs. This is Andre we're talking about, not Evgeny. This is Andre. Yes. Just want to make sure it is Andre. The, be- Evgeny, the better Svechnikov. Yes. The better one, the one on a, on a team that'll be good, but no, it, they did lose. They, they lost uh, one of their best players or maybe their best, I guess, pure offensive player um, for long stretches of time. And also they made some very curious, uh, and we'll get into this as a topic, but they made some very curious goaltending. Uh, decision specifically with Reimer being the better goalie in the series Mrazek is fine they both had good broad numbers Reimer had a 9-3-4 save percentage throughout the playoffs and Mrazek had a a 9-2-9 but Reimer clearly seemed to be the better of the two and yet they kept going back in these pivotal games to to Mrazek until finally they went to Reimer in in the last game Um, this also just seemed like that like the Bruins are a better team than than uh, Carolina is at the moment like, right, you, you were saying, we're getting down to where the elite teams are. We're getting down to brass tacks. And right now, the Bruins, I think, in, in, in where they are as a team, uh, I guess, proposed to where uh, Carolina will be a team moving forward, Boston's on a higher level, especially because Boston wasn't playing without, you know, one of their premier offensive players. So it just seemed like there were a lot of things that kind of racked up against the, uh, against the Hurricanes. 
couple that with with some a little shaky goaltending um and uh and a lot of young players trying to to chip in and it just it just i, I you know quality kind of kind of won out like you need i think when you're a team like carolina and you go into a series like that against an opponent who i think is on a different level than you you need one of your goaltenders to kind of steal it and they didn't really get that reimer was great Morazic was a little shaky in, in, in this playoffs, given in the moment. Like, again, we talked to contrast this to Frederick Anderson, like his raw numbers in the playoffs were great, but I don't think any of us would say that he had a great playoffs and he was the second best goalie in the series or the, the third or whatever. And it seemed like that was what happened with both of Carolina's goaltenders. So it, it, it was the combination of, of losing a key piece up front and then not, not having, I guess, the, the, the security in net that I, you need to beat a team like the Bruins. And it just kind of all fell apart at the end. It's interesting, those last two points, because Boston, for three games, played without David Pasternak, their mm-hmm. best goal scorer, and they lost to Garask for three games, forcing Yarrow Halak to be in net. Uh, so but while Halak Carolina great, had – he was, he was great, but Carolina had those issues with, you know, mm-hmm. problems in net and making that choice and losing one of their best players. Uh, and Boston is just at another level because they're able to just get over that with really – you know, they, they don't even hit a speed bump. They just, just cruise deeper. right through. It doesn't really matter. They're a deeper team. And Carolina, mm-hmm. Carolina is a deep team. Um, I, I don't know if the, the talent maybe measures up completely, but I think one of their strengths is the fact that they're deep fr- from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. But I, I think I'm guilty, and I think you're probably guilty as well, of, of buying into the narratives a little bit. I think Absolutely. Boston, you know, they didn't have Pashnak and Kasha to start the, you know, the – the uh, training camp and they were 0-3 in the round robin and all that stuff while Carolina on the flip side looked like this dominant force so it was it was sort of easy to get up and get caught up in the hype and and believe Mm -hmm. that this was the this was the time uh, that Carolina was going to take down a team like Boston when they got swept last year in the Eastern Conference final Uh, so yeah I think we're a little bit guilty of that but it's just, a, it's just a reminder that Boston can just turn the switch. I mean, this is a legitimate team. This is, there's, we shouldn't be surprised because this is the runaway President's Trophy winner and the mm-hmm. best team from start to finish in the regular season. But, uh, yeah, exactly. They, they, they just – it didn't look great to start, but they are who they were before. They, they weren't who we thought they were to start the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They are a legitimate force in these playoffs. And I think while it didn't look very good on Carolina – uh, it probably says more about Boston of what happened in this series. I am surprised, though, that Carolina sort of had a mental hurdle that they had to overcome or they failed to overcome because after game four, Rod Brendamore came out and said how hard it was going to be because they were in the bubble to overcome this mm-hmm. and, and all these challenges. The Carolina, another reason why I liked them and maybe I bought into their hype was the fact that they seemed like they were the team that was embracing this more than yeah. any other team. Boston Absolutely. is the one that had those problems, right? Obviously, Tuka Rask is, is at the forefront of that and may be the only guy that was having real issues with being in the bubble. But Carolina looked like the team that was going to BMO Field and just having a blast every day and just wanted to be together and, and to really enjoy this and embrace the moment. Um, but the fact that he, he said that there were some mental challenges for them that he didn't, he wasn't confident that they were going to be able to overcome. That surprised me. And, and that sort of spelled the end. I, I didn't think mm-hmm. there was once you, once he revealed that it just seemed like uh, the writing was on the wall in this series and it, and it ended up uh, lasting only the one more game than it could. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this, yeah, to your point, when, when Bryn Moore actually said that publicly, that was, that was where you kind of realized, okay, there's, there is a mental hurdle here. And you know what the guys, like everyone on Boston, at least their most important guys, they've been together as a unit for years and they've been there before. They've dealt with adversity. You know, half of, half of Patrice Bergeron's body is like, you know, robotic at this point because he's played through so many injuries. Uh, these, these guys have been together as a unit and they've embraced adversity. And so I think it was easier for them to deal with some of the blows that they, that they were getting, you know, with Tuka Rass leaving the bubble or Pasternak being sidelined for three games because they have, A, I think the deeper team. I think when you look at, maybe not on the back end, but I think when you look up, up front, they just have like a deeper forward core that you can plug some guy in there. You have, you know, these very important pieces that, that, you know, guys like Krejci, guys, you know, Marshawn takes on a bigger role. Bergeron takes on a bigger role. Kasha, for example, he's great. You know, Charlie Coyle started to, started to produce more. Like you have, you go down the roster and you have these very uh, capable forwards. And I think that, yes, you know, they, you know, uh, uh, the Canes lost that, uh, lost Sveshnikov. And I think that, that in the manner that they did lose him, that shook them a bit. I think that, 
they were they were clearly really outraged by that they they didn't you know they thought that it was a dirty play they thought that and especially with the jack edwards quote that came out after i think that this is a young it, this isn't like a patently young team but this is a, a developing team that's coming into their own that's going to be really good moving forward and we'll get into their future a bit and i just think that right with with the way that the bubble is with the the adversity that they were dealt with the interesting circumstances they've had to kind of shoulder I just don't think that they're up to it this year. And you know what? That's okay. They have, they have a bright future. They have the ability to come back and potentially even be a team like the Bruins at their peak. I, I think that there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. And, you know, if there, there are a couple moves they have to make, but Carolina showed a lot of, a lot of, um, I want to say poise, a lot of promise in this, especially, you know, they made it pretty far last year, but this year, especially, I think that they were, they were just a lot of fun. And if they buy into that, wholeheartedly moving forward it'll be there'll be a really great team to watch yeah the bottom line though is though it's a step back and this mm. while it's hard to improve on what they did last season I mean there's obviously no guarantees that you're going to be able to do that the expectations are now there for this team and they're mm. going to be there next year for this team uh, they as much as they have promise and a lot of young players anchoring that team there are guys that are going to be moving on there are guys that are going to be earning more money and maybe aren't going to be able to earn that type of money in Carolina but they're so, not huge I mean, no, like, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not you can necessarily. Replace them. But, but, it, but this team, this team is well set up. But now is the time to win. I mean, the pressure mm -hmm. is now. Last year was fun. This year was fun as well. Uh, but now we're at the point where I think they're going to be needing to see some results. I mean, if this mark, this was a team that was in a different market, I think there would be a little bit different of a mm -hmm. uh, of an outlook after losing in five games, after showing so much promise in the round robin and, and having two really good seasons, obviously back to back. But what they do owe themselves is quality goaltending. I think they're still hurting from that decision yeah. Ron Francis made to get Scott Darling in the fold. Like they just have not been able to figure out that position to a, a reasonably sufficient extent. And there's two guys out there. Everybody's heard of them. Everybody knows that they're hitting the UFA market. Robin Leonard, Jacob Markstrom, go out and get Robin Leonard. Mm -hmm. Carolina owes it to themselves to go out and get a goaltender that can be a difference maker for them because they are very close, but they cannot let these seasons go without quality goaltending. I don't know if I, I don't know exactly how Reimer and Mrazek stacked up, but I also know that I don't have the confidence in either of them to carry the load through four rounds of the postseason. I think they got to address that issue, uh, and I think there's two guys on the market that they could certainly buck up and pay for. Yeah, and my my ideal offseason for them would be to go out and sign either Markstrom or Leonard. I would. Leonard seems to be in a better place, and and that's great. So go and get him. They're both approaching the age where it's tough to give big money to a goaltender, but at the same time with how, with the way that the cap is going to work and with, with the uncertainty of, of the pandemic and with, and with financial restrictions for teams and everything, you might get, you might be able to get, you know, them on a short-term cheap contract opposed to maybe giving, giving them a Bobrovsky-esque kind of deal. Um, but they also have a guy in Alex Novelkovic. It's, it's tough. I covered him in the AHL and yet it's, I, I've never learned how to pronounce his name. Who's Novelkovic? Delkovich, there we go. Delkovich. The yeah. you, you add the J there after the D, and it just completely messes me up. It's it's oh, yeah. it's crazy. But he so he won goalie of the year, not this year, but last year in the AHL. He led them. He led the Charlotte the Charlotte Checkers to a Calder Cup, and he's he's only twenty four. He seems to be developing into a decent goaltender, but he did struggle in four games um, with Carolina this season. So I think that my ideal my you know my ideal offseason go out get one of the big name goaltenders you have the cap space to do it the only the only free agents that that are really coming up for for Carolina this year is Fogili I think is how you pronounce his name as well um, he's an RFA <laughs> is it Fogel? Oh, well, I've heard Fogili before people have Fogeli. said Fogili so it's Fogeli. you know what whatever you blame pin that on me I don't care um, That's and then okay. and then Williams is going to walk and he might you know might walk into the front office at this point who knows. Um, and then they and then they have uh, Ed, Joel Edmondson, um, TVR, Vatnin, and Flurry, who's an RFA as the pending UFAs left, really of meaningful substance to bring back. And you know, Flurry, I think, is not going to demand that much. You can they have a glut, they have a glut of guys on on a, you know defense that they can kind of weather the storm of losing one of those those three kind of veteran veterans moving forward. They have the cap space to go out and get a goaltender, get a get a guy in, in, you know, a, a Leonard or a Markstrom, a solid number one, keep Reimer, let him battle it out. And also you have a guy like Nadelkovich. Sorry. Mm. It is just impossible um, to nip at, at, at either of theirs heels and to, to give them some competition. Then you have three quality goaltenders. One of them is young. One of them is, is your set starter. And one of them is a guy fighting for his, you know, his spot on the team. 
And you have, a, I think that's a great situation to at least get them the best out of all three. Because if you give them a goaltender, it's been the, the case with this team forever. If you give them a goaltender, I think they were, I think they take it to another level. I agree. Uh, I also think that Warren Fogel is going to be furious when he listens to this. Warren who? Warren Fogel. Fogelia. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. I, okay, I've told Fogelia before to my face. And you, I know they. You need, <laughs> you need to have a ch uh, chat with that person. Okay, let's move on to one team that we probably don't have as much confidence in moving mm -hmm. forward, and that's the Arizona Coyotes. I, I guess there's reason to be reasonably confident in them just because they I think they've got a good coach and they've got some decent pieces they've got a bit of a problem in the boardroom and they've got some things they got to sort out but they do have a pretty good netminder uh and they kept him he Darcy Kemper that is mm -hmm. kept Arizona in that bubble a little bit longer than they probably should have been I think the biggest chasm we saw between talent was certainly in the first round series between the Colorado Avalanche and the Arizona Coyotes that was an absolute beatdown to be to be beat 7-1 in back-to-back -back games to close out a playoff yeah. series, uh, not in this economy. That's that's <laughs> that's awful. That's the lowest uh, note it, you can go out on, right? It, it exactly is. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that is the risk that you take when you invite a team that has no business being there and can, and has a goaltender that can steal a couple games. Not that uh, Nashville maybe deserved. Nashville, I think, was, there was certainly upset potential there because they have some flaws as well. But putting them in front of the absolute, you know, buzzsaw that is the Colorado Avalanche was just as lopsided as it was going to get. And we definitely saw uh, the difference in those two teams in that series. But what do we feel? What are we feeling about the Arizona Coyotes moving forward? They obviously got Taylor Hall uh, reaching UFA right now. He got dropped in the lineup before that last game. What does that mean for his value? What does that mean about what the Arizona Coyotes think of them? What are you doing to fix things there and to prevent that destination in the NHL from becoming just sort of this nice place where you might want to go to earn a paycheck and do some other things on the side, like play golf and so on and so forth. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't want, you don't want the Arizona Coyotes to become like a vacation property, you know, which I think it, it can be, you know, viewed at as times. And you're right. Their, their main problems stem in the boardroom. They need to get some consist consistency there. And it seems like they're starting to move towards that. The fact that they're that they're even having discussions with a guy like Taylor Hall, one of the marquee creations on, you know, about to hit the market, even though he has cost himself a lot of money since he got traded this season. Like it's he was he was in in the realm for a potentially double digit uh, per year contract, and now I, I mean, does he get more than seven, eight on the it's, open it, market? It's a Tyson Berry esque fall yes. in terms of well, maybe not. I, I, honestly, it won't be quite as much as Berry. I don't think because Taylor Taylor Hall is only two years removed from an MVP season. And it hasn't, you know, the fit hasn't been very, very, uh, very good lately for him in mm -hmm. his stops. Um, but, I mean, this is still a player with a lot of talent. But the only problem is there's not going to be that many teams that want to spend money. And exactly. the team that might spend the most money might have been Arizona. But now, d does he feel like a Rick Tockett guy? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't know. It's, it's odd because what, who is a Rick Tockett guy? Because Phil Kessel was a Rick Tockett guy forever. And, and that, that was the thing. And he's he, always been... You know, the, he the was the Kessel whisper. Exactly. He was the Kessel whisper. Mm. And it seemed like the perfect fit when, when Kessel showed up and he had a bit of an underwhelming season. But I really like Arizona's blue line on, at least on paper. I, I think I, I really like, you know, the, the Chickerins. I really like uh, Jarmelson. I, I think he's one of my favorite, you know, defensemen in the league because when you get the puck on his stick, he does nothing. But away from it, he does so much. I like Goligoski. I think they have pieces there. Like they have, they have a decent core. Like I was looking at their – at their cap friendly too. And they have some, some, some space to make a move. Um, but they do need a guy like Taylor Hall. And they need, they need Taylor Hall as in Taylor Hall. They don't need Taylor Hall of this year. They need who Taylor Hall should be. And so if they give him this contract and Taylor Hall becomes that player, not, not to say like if they, you can say any, any team adds a, an MVP to their lineup and they're going to be better. And that's great. But if Taylor Hall scores at the pace that he's always scored at and scores goals. Cause he didn't, he had a goal scoring problem this year. Then I think this is a team that can hit another level as well. But there are, there are questions. At the same time, in net, they are very set and for a very good price, too. I mean, Darcy Kemper showed, he's showed a great – it was marred – his save percentage is marred by, you know, the, the, the two losses back-to-back. -back. But they have – he he's had a 920-plus save percentage in the last three years, and we just don't talk about it. And he was great, you know, up to that point. And keep in mind, this is, this is against the Colorado Avalanche, who are the consensus favorites, who are a team of, of you know, absolute – 
mercenaries. So you have to take that into account as well. It wasn't, it, it's, you know, it, it's, you're not going up against a, a, a team that shouldn't be there, really. You're not going, to, going up against a Montreal or someone like that. It's, it's a tough team. So, and then they also have uh, Anti Ranta, too, who's on the back end, who keeps getting injured all the time. But those two together are making like $6 million combined. So that's, that's decent to put in your net. And they're both, they both seem poised to challenge each other and be a good tandem. And one of them always gets injured, so the other one can step up. This is a team with, with it's a good, I'd say it's a blank canvas right now. Like it's a good team. They're, they're, there's a lot of, uh, it's like your condo. There's some great bones in it right now, but there's a lot of work to do. And so hopefully. There's, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so hopefully it goes a little bit better than apparently how it's going right now. I wish I could confidently say that it's like the blank slate that I'm sitting in right now, but it's, it's not, it isn't quite there. I mean, why, why do you say that? Start, Clayton Keller is going to start making $7 million next year. There were really weird early contracts that they, like they gave to uh, Dvorak and Keller. They signed them really early. They did. And they're like, they're making a lot of money. Like Dvorak's yeah. four and a half. Nick Schmaltz is at almost six for the next, mm-hmm. for the next century. Derek Stepan still got one more year at 6.5 and Phil Kessel's got two more at 6.8. So if you're going to slot Taylor Hall in there, he's going to have to make more than all those guys to make mm-hmm. any sense. So that's at least $7 million, which honestly might be what he has to go for. Maybe it's just a, a one or two year deal and he's yeah. trying to you know, preserve some of that value. But all of a sudden you have a ton of money wrapped up in what is probably an average group of forwards, if we're yeah. being honest. I mean, Kessel and Stepan are on the downfall. Schmaltz is overpaid for sure. Dvorak's overpaid for sure. Clayton Keller is not a $7 million player. He might never be a $7 million player. So while they do have this, a nice situation in goal where they have two goalies and are going to make two goalies that are plus goalies, like may, maybe not brilliant one A's, but certainly two guys that can show that can for long stretches be dominant. Mm-hmm. Anti Rant has shown that before. And Darcy Kemper, obviously brilliant in these playoffs and has been brilliant actually uh, very understatedly for a long time. Um, so you've got the Seattle expansion thing looming. Mm-hmm. You've got two valuable goalies on good contracts and every team, not every team, but a lot of teams need those guys. Are they, are, can they find a way to parlay one of those two goaltenders into something to sort of, inject some life into what is in my opinion an overpaid and pretty stagnant top six and, mm-hmm. and just you know that that elite or that top end forward group obviously Taylor, a lot hinges on what they can do with taylor hall um but i just feel like they need a shakeup. they need something to be more than average because right now i think they're doing a lot to get to the point where they're just going to be an average team that's not really competing yeah you know there there's definitely some that's why I say they're blank slate because there's so many ways you can go with this team. Like, I think, I think that the guys you mentioned, maybe not Kessel, but a lot of, you know, quote unquote overpaid guys, if you do want to move on them, they do have value, I think. And you can get something back for them. If you want to start rebuilding and not sign Taylor Hall and just kind of double down on, on all your young pieces and build draft capital. I think you can kind of do that through a lot of these, a lot of these players and especially the defense. Like, the teams would be falling over themselves to, you know, to, to pick up any of those, you know, veteran names I mentioned before. So it's, there, there, there are ways to move forward with this. Um, but it, you are right. They're very, they're just very average. Like it's like they made the playoffs. Painfully average. Exactly. Painfully average. They're like the Minnesota wild in the sense of like, they made the playoffs. Like they, they looked okay at times, but they're just never going to move the needle in either direction. And I think that they need, you know, an injection, something, something to really push them over the top. And the question that they have to ask themselves now, if it's going to command more money, more than the, that $7 million you're talking about, is, is, is a full strength, full off season, no mid-season change Taylor Hall going to do that? Is, is that going to put you over the top? And if not, then you don't commit that much money to him, especially in a pandemic for a, a team with an ownership structure that's always been shaky. So you, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of you know, really difficult and, but also intriguing decisions, because I like to look at this kind of as an opportunist and think, yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird spot they're in right now, but they made the playoffs when I think a lot of teams didn't really expect them to, even with Taylor Hall. And I think they have pieces of value. They could make a, like a, a quick turnaround here in the offseason if you make a couple, you know, a couple moves here or there. Let's quickly touch on their, uh, the team that beat them in five games in the first round. That's the Colorado Avalanche. We mm-hmm. both picked them, I believe, to either win the Stanley Cup or at least come out of the Western Conference in our last podcast. Uh, I assume you are only more confident in that selection now. Absolutely. They're, they're incredible. They're so much fun. I want them 
discipline only for what they will do to hockey moving forward. Like if a team like the Colorado Avalanche wins, hopefully it will be now teams are doubling down on using data to build their teams that teams will, because the NHL is a copycat league. So, and we'll get into this when we talk about Columbus, but like a team like Colorado winning the cup would be so entertaining, so great because it, they just personify so much of what hockey is supposed to be. Modern hockey is, is supposed to be. And they showed it like they, when they needed to close out this series, they absolutely spanked their opponent. They went out and they lapped them. And it's, and it was, you're Nathan McKinnon, I think might be the best player in the league right now at the moment. Like, you know, obviously everyone talks about Crosby McDavid, but McKinnon is on a heater. And then we have to talk about it. Nazem Kadri, who is living his best life in every aspect of the game. This is a, this is such a deep, fun, uh, speedy, just, but also with some sandpaper team that I just, they're appointment viewing for me. Like there's so many games that you can't watch all of them from front to back. But if the Colorado Avalanche are on my TV, I'm sitting down, I'm watching it. Yeah, I, I can't wait till they have a greater challenge because it'll definitely mm-hmm. make sure. I mean, th- th- it's going to be appointment viewing. They're already appointment viewing, but they are going to be the main event when the second round begins. I think Vancouver can do, do them a huge favor, even though I'd love to see Nathan McKinnon and Ryan Ro- O'Reilly go head to head in a series. That would be a lot of fun. Um, but since you mentioned it, let's get into that Andrew Raycroft tw- tweet, just that Nathan McKinnon is better than Connor McDavid. Here's where I stand on that. Yeah. I think maybe they're at their very best. I don't think there's, there's a player with more variance in his game. And that's going to sound like a criticism, but Nathan McKinnon can go to another level. Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon doesn't always show it. I think he's got a lower floor. Like Connor McDavid's floor is so high in every game. You see how brilliant he is. Mm-hmm. But when Nathan McKinnon is at peak Nathan McKinnon, it is unlike anything you see in the NHL, the, the, the blend of power, speed, skill, the ability for him to just shrug guys off. Like he looks like a running back playing the center ice position Mm -hmm. in a, in a playoff hockey game. It is absolutely absurd how much, how much different he is than any other player in the league and what he's able to do and do not cross check him in the throat because he will keen use, he can, he can embarrass you, humiliate you and throw one single punch in a fight. Yes. He, and that's not because he knocked him out. It's because he felt sorry for the guy. He was absolutely ragdolling. I think it was Christian Fisher. Mm-hmm. He is a unicorn in the NHL, Nathan McKinnon. While I don't think he's better than Connor McDavid, uh, I, I do think when he's at his very best, there is no one that you probably want on your team more in a playoff game than Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, I think if you put Connor McDavid in, on the Colorado Avalanche, I think that they steamroll the rest of the league to a cup. Oh, God. Um, it, would, it would be silly. It's, it's, it, would be, it, get me, it would be gross. It'd be gross. It gets me excited just thinking about it. But yeah, McKinnon has that, what I've seen from McKinnon in the regular season, but especially in these playoffs, is he has that kind of instinct that, you know, a, a, a Jordan or LeBron has where he just goes at a certain point in the game, he goes, I'm going to win this game. Like, we're going to win this game and I'm going to do it. And then he just does. Like, he, like there, there is this aura, I don't know how to describe it, that just like radiates off and breathes like, we are not losing and I'm going to be the reason why that is. And anyone who's in my way is going to not have a, not have a good night. And that's what he does. Like he's, he's fantastic. Um, he, yeah, like you said, he's a unicorn. Like he, he has this ability to just shrug guys off to, to stand up for himself, to hold his own while also having the speed and the skill of a guy like even Connor. It, it's phenomenal. I do want, but to your point, I want to see the, the avalanche get pushed because I don't think they've really been challenged too much yet. I want to see them go up against a team that takes them to seven games, you know, where they go down maybe two, one in a series where they're fighting for their lives. I want to see what this avalanche team looks like with their backs against the wall, because I think that that could really, really, really tell us where they are, not just in this playoffs, obviously, because their backs against the wall, it's do or die. But I'm talking about like where this team is moving forward, like where this team could be, what their ceiling is, because I think if they play this right, this could be a long-term, not going to, not going to throw out the dynasty, um, you know, monkey here, but I think that, if this team is able to keep itself together with the pieces that they have, man, this could be a special team moving forward. I was a huge skeptic of Joe Sackick, uh, you know, three or four years ago when they were really struggling to build oh, yeah. anything around Nathan McKinnon. But what they did, what, what was really fascinating with the Colorado Avalanche in the offseason was, okay, they just upset uh, the Calgary Flames uh, as the eighth seed, and they showed mm-hmm. all this promise and, and they're, how they were able to just run through uh, a team that won the Western Conference in the regular season. 
but clearly had some holes, right? But they had all this money to spend to fill those holes. And you could have easily just broke the bank and got yourself in trouble by signing guys and, and, and wasting money here and there and doing sort of a bit of a Vancouver thing where you're mm -hmm. buying up guys that might be able to help you for one year, but then it's going to look really bad after that. But they spent that money brilliantly. Mm -hmm. They just have built such a strong support cast. They obviously made a brilliant trade uh, to get Nazem Kadri, to get rid of Tyson Berry when you had Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard. Uh, they've, they've just done such a good job over the last 24 months. And I think that's going to be reflected in what happens in this playoffs. And I do, I do agree with you. I want to see them push, but maybe in the third round, let's see them stunt yes. on another team because yeah. I could just, I could go for another just complete uh, demolishing uh, another Nathan McKinnon wrecking ball mode uh, type of uh, series because it's just so fun to watch them crush teams. And that's usually not the, Hockey's not at its best when a team is just getting torn through, but mm. it's fun to watch when the Colorado Avalanche do it. The Colorado Avalanche, like, feel themselves better than any team, I think. Like, when they're, when they're on, when they're, yeah, like you said, when they're stunting on people, they're stunting harder than I think any other team. Like, teams can, get, can blow each other out, but when Colorado blows you out, you feel like there's a shame that's involved with that, where you're like, we just, we had nothing. We couldn't do it. That guy don't miss. Like, it's, it's, we, don't, we don't belong. They make teams feel like they don't belong. Yes. And very, very few teams, the most dominant teams in the playoffs are just, you know, they're defensively dominant. They don't give you anything. But the Colorado Avalanche are different because they just blow you out of the water with their offense. Uh, and, and they blend everything. The reason why they're such a good offensive team is because they can play defense too. And mm -hmm. all of it stems from that. And it's very, you know, behind the puck. But when they get going, they are so, so dangerous. And the Yotes don't belong. We just saw that. Like, to your point, where the, the, the Avalanche make teams feel like they don't belong. We saw definitively, especially in those last two games, that the Yotes do not belong. The dream scenario for my money would be the Lightning meeting the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final. And that's a possibility still mm -hmm. because the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, could only last five games uh, in their series versus Tampa after sweeping them last year in, a, in, well, I guess it was embarrassing for Tampa and pretty exhilarating for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But we saw sort of order restored, I think, in this series. That doesn't mean it wasn't tough. This was one of the most tightly contested five-game series I think you'll see. It was not easy at all for Tampa. And I think they, they sort of showed that in the reaction after. Obviously, there's a lot of context with what happened last year. Uh, but they seem like they slayed their dragon a little bit in Columbus and getting past uh, John Tortorella and company. Uh, we can talk about Tampa. We'll probably say Tampa a little bit later uh, because they're going to be involved in a very entertaining series, whoever it is they mm -hmm. get next. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Columbus and, and just uh, what you made of their run uh, what and what might lie ahead for a team that is sort of devoid of top-end talent until you watch them and you realize, geez, they got a couple really good players. Yeah, they well, they they put up a great fight against a team like Tampa, who they realistically shouldn't have any. They, they shouldn't they shouldn't have a fighting chance against them. Like the the re, they they swept Tampa last season when they had Artemi Panarin, who's a Hart Trophy finalist this year, uh, Matt Duchesne, and Sergey Bobrovsky, and those three are all gone and they still put up a fight. They still pushed them to a, was it five or six? I still, I, it was, it blended together. Five, I can't remember. Five. five. They pushed them to a five overtime game. And we saw just how, how valuable and how, you know, absolutely dominant the pairing of Wrensky and Seth Jones are together. This is, a, they don't have a ton of talent. Yes. And, um, or at least high end talent uh, up front, maybe uh, on mm -hmm. forward court. Um, and in the inverse of what it's like with the Colorado Avalanche, I think if, if the Blue Jackets somehow won the cup, that would be the worst thing for hockey at this point because they play the most boring, plodding, you know, chess match, but like not in a fun chess match way, just a, like two old dudes playing at a park who like aren't really invested in it or they're just, they hate each other. So they're, they're really doing these block moves. Like it's, this, it was, it was a plodding series. And to your point with Tampa, like they clearly – they clearly were, were this, they had this on their bulletin board for forever. John, um, John Cooper had the exact amount of days since their yep. sweep, ready to go off the top of his head in the presser. Like, this was their yeah, dragon. Yeah. Oh, it obviously meant something to them. <laughs> I, I mean, John Cooper, he is the one guy will do a little research, like all the reporters yeah. should be doing research before going into a scrum to at least, you know, not sound like, there's a few homer there's a few homers in the tampa zooms which oh, is yeah? hilarious and, and, and if you, you can get on those just wait till the end when those guys ask questions it's pretty it's pretty funny um but what, you, what you're supposed to you know you're supposed to come correct with what you're saying and john Co uh, john cooper tortorella doesn't care at all cooper does right. care though cooper makes sure that he's giving you 
uh, legitimate insight into what he's feeling, but he's also there almost to entertain and to, and to give you more than uh, maybe you'd expect from anywhere else. And you could tell that, you know, he didn't have to, I don't think he's marking down on the calendar or, you know, like scratching on his wall, the amount of days it's been since. I don't know. It looked like it's, it's possible. It's possible that he's, you know, doing that prison move where you're just logging Mm -hmm. all, logging all your uh, in chalk on the concrete. But uh, no, he, 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 this meant so much to that franchise because he even talked about the hockey gods that you could go through a pandemic and Columbus shouldn't have been in the playoffs if it ended the way it did. Cause they were the ninth seed, mm-hmm. but all of this happened so that they got Columbus again in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so there was some, there was like a, you know, a predestined sort of aspect going into the series and it could have went one way and it could have went the other where it's, you know, complete disaster Bruins and Leafs sort of thing, or, uh, they were going to be able to get over this hump in this in the torment that's been eating at them for 422 days. So uh, it, it's nice to see Tampa go through because this is a team that like, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of them. You have to respect what they do and the entertainment value that they bring. Any series that they're going to be involved in is worth watching. And just like Colorado, I want to see them go deep because the playoffs are going to be more entertaining with the Tampa Bay Lightning around. There's no doubt about that. Would Colorado-Tampa be the best the best cup final we've had in years. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, it probably would be. Uh, there has been, there's been good ones. I mean, Pittsburgh San Jose was, was pretty, like there's tons of storylines there. But this would be like a uh, gladiator in, match. In terms of like what, yeah, in terms of the most talent possible yeah. and the most exciting way to play the game possible. Yeah. I don't think you could, you could go wrong with those two. If you were, if you were fantasy matchmaker and you had, you had to, you had to choose, uh, I don't think uh, obviously it wouldn't be a majority. Uh, but I think this was, this would be the result that most hockey fans would, would deliver as mm-hmm. not the consensus, uh, but the, the, the top option, at least in terms of what uh, the best possible Stanley cup final would be. Yeah. And so what, what also really stood out to me in this was the emergence of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like he's, mm-hmm. he, he had a, like an okay regular season. Like he was fine. It was 49.70 games. It was okay. But he, he became, he took over in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm not even just talking from a statistical point. Like he was 10 points in 10 games. But he became like, you know, on the Marshawn level of like agitator and some semi-goon. Like he's a dangerous player. Is he dirty he though? Is yes. he dirty? He got away with a lot. But at the same time, like, and as much as it sucks, with, it's just the way that the sport is, like, you're going to get away with a lot in the playoffs. So you, you kind of need a guy like that. Like, he, he bullied the lease, and he did push around a lot of Tampa for a while. Yeah, I mean, I hated the Kalorin hit. That was obviously oh, it was very, awful. Dan- it was very, very dangerous. And there was, there was moments where he was teetering on the line. But the way Pierre-Luc Dubois plays, the way he needs to physically assert himself, he is going to be, if everyone got angry every time he was bigger and stronger than someone, then everyone would be furious always with mm-hmm. Pierre-Luc Dubois. That's just the bottom line is he's going to be, if he's going to be as physical as he needs to be successful, to be successful, then he's going to be, you know, teetering the edge of what's acceptable and what's not. And he's probably putting other guys in danger because he's just that big and strong of, and, and willing of a player. Uh, like that stop up hit on Braden Point. I mean, that's just yeah. the play, that which looked like the butt fumble, Mark Sanchez. <laughs> but it was just the fact that, that wasn't a that wasn't a dirty play because if Pierre Forsberg did it to a defenseman that was bigger than him 15 years ago, we'd all be lauding Pierre Forsberg. That's the exact same thing that he did. He just Pierre did it Forsberg? against Peter Forsberg. Pierre, did I say Pierre? You said Pierre. 
Pierre Forsberg, Pierre Maguire in my mind. It's okay. I did Foji and Lee after, after we're those. Again. There we go. I mean, you know. Uh, anyway, Pierre Forsberg, Peter Forsberg, would uh, we'd all be lauding him for it. Yeah. And while, uh, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois doesn't get to choose who's going to come behind him and try to, you know, uh, I don't know if he was going to try and bump him off the puck or whatever, but he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to fight for his space. And uh, while the Kaloran hit was bad, uh, I can't get mad at everything that Pierre Luc Dubois is doing out there because he's playing hockey uh, in a manner that is, you know, it's maybe not common amongst all superstar forwards, but some of them can do it, like Matthew Kajak. And if you're going to do that, you're going to get into trouble every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't get mad at him from being a big, strong guy who's just being dominant out there. No, you're right. Like, it's – he – even, even to like the, the Blue Jackets, they only really have, in terms of meaningful free agents, they just have Dubois that's coming up at the end of the season. And they have five million cap space where it is right now. And they have a lot of RFAs that are coming up. They can sign, you know, lower stuff. Like they're, they're in a good position to, um, if they are going to spend at the cap, to kind of lock this in. But Dubois really, like this is, he is a playoff performer. Like he is a guy where if you think about it, if you have to go into a, into a playoff series against Pierre-Luc Dubois, are you not just being like, oh, come on, man. Like, he, he makes life difficult for you. And he did like Tampa should have, they have way more skill than the blue jackets do. And yet Pierre-Luc Dubois made life against, uh, against the Columbus blue jackets difficult and painful, like physically and mentally um, for the lightning like that, that, that matters in the playoffs. He's, I think he's a perfect John Tortorella uh, player. And speaking of that, I mean, if, if John Tortorella screamed at me in front of my friends in, in an empty uh, hockey arena, I'd probably, you know, go beast mode as well. So I, it, that's it, it, if anything, you can take solace in, in Dubois really establishing himself as a, I don't want to say dominant, but as a very influential playoff performer moving forward for a team that needs all the high end talent and any kind of anything that'll tip the scale one way or the other as much as possible. He does that for them. To quote Cooper, he's a baller and he definitely is a baller and he's going to make a ton of money this off season. Yes. Uh, let's move on to the series that didn't end mm. on elimination Wednesday, which was the Habs and Flyers. We went from back-to-back shutouts from Philadelphia to another poor performance from Carter Hart, who has mm-hmm. been obviously off and on. And when he's on, it, it means good down. things for Philly. And when he's off, it means wins for Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is turning into probably the nastiest series uh, of the first round, kind of surprisingly. Uh, but just, there, just you know, there's bad blood boiling over with, you know, questionable hits, questionable cross-checks major penalties, non-major penalties, uh, a lot going on. And we're even getting taps on the head from rookie forwards uh, on rookie, not rookie, Carter Hart's not a rookie, but close to a rookie uh, goaltender. I mean, that was amazing. I love that. I I think Nick Suzuki might be the breakout star of of these playoffs, or at least round one in terms of like a player that was not irrelevant, certainly, uh, but a guy that hadn't established himself yet at all. And he's got the gall to tap Carter Hart on the head. Not like this is Carey Price in that on the, on the opposite side, but uh, you know, it, it's it says something about where he feels he is as an NHL player because he's having an impact in every way out there, and he's raising the temperature of a series that might just completely uh, explode in Game Six. Yeah, no, that's the yeah, like you said, like the, the gall to do that, to have the stones to do that in a playoff game. You're down in the series. And you score and you just tap him on the head like that. It reminds me, Leo Komarov did the same thing um, to, I think it was Brooks Orpik where they, they scored and he was just like, Hey, good job, man. Like and Brooks Orpik got really mad at him for it. Like it's absolutely, but this is, no one expected this to be the nastiest series like this, you know, yes, it's Philly, but Montreal and Philly, like, I don't really think there's that much bad blood recently between them. It seemed like it was going to be a pretty cut and dry series. And yet here we go. We got, you know, cheap shots and, dirty plays and, and quotes in the, in, you know, in the media and in the public coming out after. Um, so I do want to kind of run through his last night's game was, was just everything was happening. I do kind of, cause there, and there were two, you know, pretty, pretty intense hits. So I do want to run through them. And if you can act as a player safety head for a second and Go for it. you instantly are already more qualified than the person they have currently running it. So that's great. Um, but so first I'll, I guess we'll start with cocking Yemi's hit on, on, uh, on Sandheim because that was, you know, that that's the one that got him booted. Uh, gave him an instant um, instant game misconduct. Did you think that was a? Do you think that 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 was appropriate for like in terms of discipline in the moment? And also, do you think it would be suspendable moving forward? 
not suspendable in my opinion hard mm-hmm. to overturn i think was probably yeah. the issue because i think they called it on the ice that it was that five minute major and when you look at it i guess by the letter of the law it does uh meet the criteria i guess yeah. uh, on on a hit like that although in a playoff game we see hits like that all the time all and the i time. think this is kind of i think this is both of them i think the bit of an inexperience on the part of Kotkaniemi in just the way he threw that hit mm-hmm. But also an experience from Sand, maybe not an experience, but also uh, a mistake on Sandheim's part, the way he braced for that hit. So those th- two things coming together, the call on the ice, I- I'm not surprised that it got to the point where it did. I don't think there should be a suspension, though. I think that's that's a young player, a little bit overzealous and a mistake on the other end and, and things, not the worst case scenario, because an injury would have been the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. but sort of the worst case scenario on how the exact hit played out. Uh, but you know what? You got to respect the, as much as you respect Suzuki. You got to respect Kotkaniemi for not just showing up from an offensive standpoint, mm-hmm. but really digging into a difficult series. I'm not sure he was advertised as that type of player when he was coming coming through initially, uh, and he looks like a guy who who is made for the playoffs in a, in a certain respect. Yeah, he he was. I think when you take supplemental discipline into account, like or when when the, the NHL looks at it. They don't, they do take like kind of pedigree into account as well. Like, like if you're, if you're a goon, like they're probably going to suspend you more than they would, you know, if Sidney Crosby lays a hit like this, I, don't, I think they go a little easier on him opposed to, you know, s- someone more, more of a heavyweight guy. And Kakanyemi is like one of the last guys I would have expected to throw a hit like this. Like he, mm. he, if anything, he was, he was, you know, I guess sort of deemed as a like physically adverse player coming in. And yet here he is like absolutely clobbering a guy. Um, it does make me a little like a little, not sad, but a little annoyed at the NHL because they do call the heart, like the harshest penalty on the ice and then you know, they can't overturn it. So they have to kick a good player out of the game basically. Um, but yeah, it's not suspendable. Like we see, we see hits in the playoffs like this all the time. Like it, it, it yeah, it, it clocked Sandheim and it was, it was rough, but I, I think it was a little harsh even from an immediate standpoint, what they did. Yeah, I think, I think it was a player who, I mean, Sandheim's a big guy, and Kotkaniemi's mm-hmm. not the guy who throws a million hits a game. So it's kind of a smaller player Took him overcompensating. Off guard, yeah. I think overcompensating for what he had to do in the moment, which was mm-hmm. to try and lay a hit on a bigger individual. And then you got that result because, you know, he obviously left his feet and there was a little bit of a target toward the, towards the head and, and all that. We know what happened with the hit. We know why it was penalized. Uh, but that's what happens when guys are pulled out of their comfort zone or, or their normal mm-hmm. scope of responsibilities. That happens every now and then. We see it a lot. So uh, I think it's just a little overzealousness on the part of a, a young player who's, uh, who's, you know, responding to the tone of the series uh, by doing what he did. And now we got, we got the piece de resistance because this one is, is – the talk worse. of the town right now, and definitely, definitely worse. worse. Um, Niskanen's hit on Gallagher. Yeah, give me give me the rundown. DPOS head hit me. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? I mean, it's it's uh, you're feasting on a bit of a vulnerable opponent. It's a short cross check right to the mouth. It caused an obvious injury. I I don't not sure if they confirmed whether it was a fracture getting, or not. He's getting a CT scan on his jaw right now. He's getting a CT scan yeah. on his jaw as we speak, so we'll probably, you know, learn about what exactly happened soon. But you saw damage. There was clear damage. Uh, and it didn't stop Brandon Gallagher from talking for the rest of the game, which I appreciate and respect because he was just hanging over the boards talking to dudes for the rest. Um, but that is infinitely – no, I won't say infinitely more dangerous because we know concussions uh, are something that you can't really measure against, you know, the, the clear and obvious injuries, which are broken jaws – broken teeth you know cut up lips that's just you know that's that's objective stuff we don't know exactly what's happening with concussions so the danger level uh you can't really compare them but this is a clear opportunistic instance in which a defender tried to hurt someone by shoving his stick into his face Mm -hmm. and if anything that i've seen from that series is worthy of the suspension and i'll include what sean couturier did late i don't think that's worthy of a suspension myself it's dirty as hell, but it's not, you know, it's not going to hurt anyone. Uh, but what Niskanen did clearly could hurt someone, and it did hurt someone, even though Brendan Gallagher shook it off pretty well. Nassim Kadri did a form of that for two straight playoffs and suspended for the rest of both of them. He, exactly. he, took, he took a running start and cross-checked him in the face. Like that and, – and Gallagher, yes, he was talking for the rest of the game, and yeah, he's probably, you know, has got some jaw damage. But the immediate – like he looked so dazed. I'm surprised they didn't pull him from the game. Uh, for a concussion protocol, because he was just sitting, he was slumped sitting there on the ice. It was, 
it was it was it was crazy. Like I, I I don't understand how we're even having a conversation about whether or not this should be suspendable. It it is the definition of suspendable. You, you we have two cases of the same player doing this in back to back postseasons from uh you know from from years before. Niskin that was he took advantage like you said of of a vulnerable player in a vulnerable position and did and and cross check them in probably other than maybe the neck like the worst place you can cross check someone in terms of padding right in the teeth not even in the face in the mouth so it 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 just like it's such a dirty play it didn't need to happen it was clearly in the heat of the moment and that should all be taken into account like Matt Niskanen shouldn't be playing for the rest of the series at least in my opinion like they like that was if if someone did that in a regular season game it would be like a 10 game suspension or maybe okay I'd be okay with one game, but I'm a little bit more barbaric than you, Mike. Yeah, I, I just think <laughs> I, he cross-checked him in the mouth. He took a yeah, running start. Yeah, I mean, start. he, he did. He, I, I don't. Did he take a running start? It was kind yeah. of. It was a bit reactionary. I think he like turned around and just like popped him. There were some. I was watching it before. I was watching it again before we uh, before we started recording here, and there was there were some strides taken. There were some strides. Okay. There yeah. was there Nazem Kadri strides. No, no. Kadri was like my, like, Kadri's the Terminator. He was like, all right, like, I have my target and I'm going to execute him. But, yes. like, how, how yeah. different would this world be if Kadri just flung off his gloves in that moment instead of grabbed onto his stick? I, I wonder the butterfly effect of that. Like, the meme where it's just a tiny domino and then, you know, it goes to the huge dominoes. I wonder if it's like, you know, Nazem Kadri fights a guy instead of cross checking him. It's the small domino, the, the big domino at the end is just not having a global pandemic at the bottom. Like, that would be great. I, I, I was going to say Arizona had just defeated Colorado <laughs> in five games and the Leafs were, you know, the top seed and knocking off Montreal, but you went with, you know, the yes. most extreme thing. But, you know, that would have been uh, nice if Nazem Kadri could have avoided this global pandemic for everybody else. I do love the hate that's happening in this mm-hmm. uh, Habs Flyers series. But what I love most about that game was Joel Farabee and Philip Deneau providing the gif of the century with just oh, the man. nicest little, it was like they were just, you know, two best friends wanting to watch, you know, whatever, whatever was happening in front of them, just the minor melee, but just did it in the most friendly manner possible. Like they were just reuniting after, you know, five years apart and they were finally at the family barbecue, the I reunion, and they were just getting together. It was, it was, it was hilarious how perfect that gif was. I, I that is one of my favorite things in hockey. This happened before. I just love it's like the look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Kind of energy in there. It was great. I, I will. It that is in in our in our uh, challenging times in our trying times. You really need things that that will really pump up that serotonin. And when you when you watch that gift and you see the brotherly love between them, where it's just everyone's it's like madness unfolding in front of them, and they're just like, hey man, how's it going? Like let's just hug it out. Let's just in, watch watch the fire burn in front of us. It's just it's great. This feels this feels like a playoff series. Like you know, and I know that some some of these didn't. I I really don't think that the Yotes uh, Colorado series felt like a playoff series to me. It was just felt like you know a bully kind of kind of shoving a, a, another kid in a locker. But this yeah. is like there is hate. There is um you know there there is there is vitriol between these two teams. And I mean hockey's better when when there's a little bit of hate involved. I know that that a lot of people are a little hesitant towards that, and you don't want to see the injuries. But I think hockey is better when, when the, the opponents hate each other, and they clearly do here. It is certainly a lot better. Uh, better when there's hate, better than vitriol. We have that with Montreal, but we also have a possibility of the Canadians moving on to the second round, and Crazy. we have that possibility with two other Canadian teams, with Calgary and Vancouver. Vancouver got a what I think is probably a surprise 3-2 series lead after yeah. uh, Wednesday night's game. Uh, they fell behind. They didn't look like they were in the game, and then they came back with a brilliant third period to – to take the series lead back from St. Louis. I guess St. Louis never had it, but they were up 2-0, dropped the next two and, and got back ahead in a series that looked like that was slipping away from them. Calgary will face elimination uh, before some people listen to this podcast, so we can't go too deep into that one, uh, even though we were supposed to. But uh, Vancouver and Montreal are, are, you know, they're looking at two different situations here. Obviously, with Vancouver has the chance to close it out. Montreal has a chance to prolong this and then possibly win in seven games against Philadelphia. Uh, but taking all three Canadian teams, we've, we've had these discussions already about which team has the best shot at the cup, but I think we have to continue to update this because again, it's been so long mm-hmm. and uh, this is a fluid situation with teams, uh, you know, gaining in strength, gaining in sort of validity. 
and also slipping and losing ground in their series. So uh, I think we both settled on Vancouver last time. I can't imagine it's changed. It hasn't for me. I'll just put uh, alert right there. Yeah. I mean, again, but I don't think that's because Vancouver has, you know, put themselves in a far greater spot. They're obviously in a good mm-hmm. spot. They're up three, two against Stanley cup champions, but the Stanley cup champions have woken up since we last talked. Yes. They, they have, they have asserted themselves in the series and they looked like they were going to run away with the rest of the series before Vancouver somehow, uh, you know, Pulled answered the bell yeah. in, in, in the third period. So while I do believe it's still Vancouver, it's more Vancouver than anyone else because I just don't think either of these three teams have a shot. Yeah, it, it's, it's not necessarily like who I think is going to win. It's that who do I trust? Like, who do I trust the most maybe? And I don't trust Calgary at all in the playoffs. I just think they've, they've, burned, they've been burned so many times and they've burned people who maybe rated them highly so many times. That core, it just seems kind of shaky to me. Um, yeah. And then Montreal is just happy to be here. Like, they're not – like I, as much as they're pushing uh, Philly to, to, you know, to the brink, which is great. And it seems like, I, I think in the, at the end of the day, I, I really don't think a lot of people have the Habs actually pulling this out. Vancouver has a deep team. They, they've gone, you know, punch for punch with, uh, with the defending Stanley cup champions. They have a good goalie. They have, they have, you know, a, a very, you know, a dynamic offensive player in, in Pedersen and a, a not, multiple, but per, particularly a dynamic defensive player in, uh, in Quinn Hughes. I think I think that they they have the best shot, but to your point as well, I don't think either I don't think any of these these teams are going to win. I don't think any of these teams have an actual like really legitimate shot at winning the cup. But yeah. if we're talking about the the remaining teams left, it's got it's Vancouver in, in a heartbeat. I think for me, like it's Calgary. Like I said, just don't trust in Montreal. They're playing with house money. Vancouver, they they really could make some noise if kind of the 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 cards fall right for them. The biggest question is, or the better question is, who has a chance to just make it to the second round? Because that's, it's really a murderer's row of teams waiting for any Canadian team that gets through. Think about the path Montreal would have to take to go on a run. It would have to be beating Pittsburgh in the play-in, then beating Philadelphia, the top seed, then Mm -hmm. beating Tampa Bay, the number two seed, then likely having to beat Boston, the next seed, and then going on to play whoever. Like, that would be the single greatest run in the history of the NHL if Montreal was able to do that. So that's not going to happen, obviously. Uh, Calgary, you're right. I mean, without Matthew Kachuk, this is a far different team. Mm. Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan have not proven yet that that tandem is going to be able to carry the load come playoff time. Uh, And Vancouver, while they have the most difficult matchup, I think, right now, uh, out of the the three, and that includes Philly. Philly's a, Philly's a really good team, but St. Louis has the pedigree, has the pieces, has the proven Stanley Cup know-how. Uh, they are legitimate still, even though they're maybe they're sliding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Vancouver has the toughest challenge and they're up, but the challenge to get through might still be just as difficult. Like it's not going to be easy to get that last win against St. Louis. They obviously have the best chance to get to the second round. And that means they have the best chance to get to the cup because listen, only one of these teams is probably going to get through. Calgary can get through still. Uh, but how could you take them against Colorado or Vegas mm-hmm. at the end of this? Like, Vancouver is just built a little bit differently and probably better suited for the task at hand right now uh, than the other two teams, even though, you know, it's, it's probably not looking good for either. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Like I, I, it just boils, like, I just don't trust Calgary. Like it, they, they're the only one that I, Montreal, I don't even kind of factor into this. And then there's Calgary. And I just don't trust that, that core. Like I just, I don't believe, and we're not including Matthew to in this. I think he's great, but I'm talking like Goudreau and Monaghan. Also like, do you, is Cam Talbot a Stanley Cup winning goaltender? I don't think so. So we, yeah. there's just so much, you know, against them. Whereas I can see, I can see Vancouver if really, if the dice fall right for them, if they get some breaks here, they can make some noise. But none of these, none of these three teams are, are legitimate contenders. Yeah, it, it feels different. Not that it feels different, but this year especially, like it's clear who the elite teams yes. are, which teams are going to do well. And I think while Vancouver's sort of in the gray area there, and they could very well get through this round. There are a couple teams just waiting to pick off uh, and feast on some inferior talent. Like we could get some Arizona, Colorado vibes. If mm-hmm. one of these, if like, if Montreal gets through, they could just get blown, blown away by Tampa yeah. potentially. Like there's some, there's heavy hitters that are going to be in the second round. And I think we're waiting to see, you know, how the, how the best teams match up against each other. But if there's another layup that squeaks through another Arizona that gets farther than they should, or Montreal gets farther than they should, 
it, it, it could set up for what's, what could be a very uninteresting second round series. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into one leaf note before we yes. sign off. Uh, again, we haven't talked much about Vegas. We got to get them in eventually, but we'll wait until they meet up against mm-hmm. a legitimate opponent uh, because Chicago as, you know, as they tricky even... as they were for, for yeah. Edmonton, it wasn't even a challenge. Like we still haven't seen Vegas uh, have to really scrap mm-hmm. and claw for anything yet. So, I mean, we'll get into the Leafs news. Uh, there's not supposed to be any Leafs news right now, but apparently they, a couple months ago, reached out to Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, I'm going to work on that name because that's a tough one. Mm. Uh, but this is a accomplished coach, not from a championship standpoint, but a team, but a coach that has designed some very good teams, very good offensive teams, very good power plays. Uh, and he is also the biggest fan, maybe, of the Toronto Maple Leafs that there is. Yeah. Like he is coaching other NHL teams and watching the Maple Leafs in his spare time for leisure, not for work, for leisure. He is the biggest Leaf fan going. He's the local guy, not a kid, obviously, because he's an older fella. Um, but this is his dream. And mm-hmm. to coach the Leafs is not, uh, to be the head coach of the Leafs is probably not an option because Sheldon Keefe is certainly the guy that's going to be leading this organization forward for the next few seasons at least. Uh, but there's an opportunity to live out a dream for Bruce Boudreaux here if he does want to, in fact, give up or surrender the opportunity to be a head coach elsewhere to run a power play and some offensive sets for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think it's a perfect fit. I, my only concern is the Maple Leafs aren't allowed, Maple Leafs don't allow their assistants to talk yes. to these. So we've never heard from Paul McFarland or Dave Haxall. Not that we really want to hear from Dave Haxall. Okay. But we've never heard from these guys. Uh, and muzzling Bruce Boudreaux would just it's be a, a crime. crime. So, so yeah. if they do make this decision, there's got to be at least an introductory press conference for old Bruce, you know? Has to be. This is, we talked about this on last week's uh, uh, podcast, but this is exactly what the Leafs need. Like Bruce Boudreau, he has um, overseen star players before. He has designed, you know, systems that, that maximize their talent. Um, and look, this, this firing that he had um, from the, uh, or his exit, I guess, from the wild, it was, it was not um, pleasant. Like he was clearly pissed off about it. Does, and he's getting up there in age. Him and his wife kind of want to settle down in one spot because they moved around a lot quite a bit. Uh, they did that great interview with The Athletic where they went to, I think it was Michael Russo, went to his home and interviewed him right after. On Valentine's Didn't he lose Day. everything on his truck? Didn't he lose like in yeah. the entire contents of a truck or something? It was hilarious. He was, it was on Valentine's Day. So ridiculous. And he, it, talking about him getting fired. It's like it's the most romantic thing you could possibly talk about. Um, why not just like, in the immortal words of John Tavares, like, it's not every day you can live out a childhood dream. Like, why not just go back to Toronto? You don't have the expectation, the pressure that a head coach would have. You don't have to run the show and you don't have to deal with the headaches that come with that. You don't, like your last, every time you've, you've been fired, it's always been in an, in an annoying way. It's always been, you know, uh, especially with the wild, you're joining a, at least from a, from a um, like a management perspective, a stable organization that you've loved for years that is desperately, desperately, like thirsting for your talents. Why not just have fun spending your, spending your waning years living in one of the best cities in the world and coaching Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, all these great players in designing ways to maximize them. And maybe you become a part of the, you know, the most famous Leafs team ever that could win a cup. Like it, it would be, I think it's the perfect situation for him. And I mean, you need stability in a pandemic. I think that, I think it just checks all these boxes. And the fact that they actually reached out, this isn't just rumor fodder anymore. This is the, they actually reached out to, to, you know, to, to interview him. I think that, I think we're hinting towards a, a direction for this. And like you said, I just, I want a presser. I want an introductory presser. That's it. I cannot imagine Boudreaux turning down the Leafs, oppor- an opportunity given to him from the Maple Leafs. Exactly. Uh, I just can't do. I can't. I, I maybe maybe he there's a head coaching job out there for him that uh, that maybe he would prefer best case scenario to be running a team himself. But you're right. You reduce a lot of the headaches, and you can be a fan. Yes. You can be a fan of the team. You and, don't have to hide do, your cheering and, anymore. Yeah. You you can legitimately do it. You you have every you have every reason to watch as much Maple Leafs hockey as you possibly could. You can watch games over and over and over again, and you can do it with mom. He always talks about his mom when he comes yes. to Toronto, and now he can be near his mom. Hell, they can move in together and, and mm-hmm. they can watch Leaf games together. After Boudreaux gets home from the rink that night, I think it would be awesome if Boudreaux uh, joined this coaching staff. And I think it would give him a little bit more personality, a little bit more 
fun in that locker room. Things mm. are a little, uh, it's always a little uptight and that's a little bit of Babcock doing a little bit of, you know, the pressures of, of failing. I think that would help a lot from a, uh, you know, systems perspective, but also a, you know, spirit perspective where he could bring just a little bit more fun to the rink because this is a, this is a funny guy who, when he's done coaching could easily be, you know, the lead analyst on hockey night in Canada oh, yeah. because he's quick witted. He's funny. And he knows the game, certainly. So this it would be a great ad, I think, for the Leafs. Go, go on YouTube and look up Bruce Boudreaux's rant from HBO 24-7, where he drops, like, 23 F-bombs in two minutes. Like, it's mm-hmm. – you need – the Leafs need that. And you need I a think, cough button if he's going to be the lead analyst. Yes. And I, and I think that they – I think that – like, players respect Bruce Boudreaux. Like, you have – like, he's he, – it's like getting a, a – you know – it's like when Wade Phillips became the defensive coordinator for the LA Rams, or I guess St. Louis Rams, or wherever they were, LA mainly, um, where he's like, he's a respected guy. He's, you know, he's been a, a head coach before, you know, he's, he's one of the, the best at doing ex- like a special thing at what he does and players mm-hmm. respect him for that. And it's almost like he's too good to be an assistant, but you need that. Like, and, and clearly they, th- this team needs someone to, to rein them in. I think Bruce Boudreaux would be the perfect person to do that. Exactly. When you get to that point as a coach, sometimes like Wade Phillips, uh, this is a weird comparison that we're drawing, but it almost that weird. They look it, alike. It, it does. I guess, you know, ageism might be a problem here, but okay. when you get to that age, when you get to that age, maybe you can't handle everything. Yeah. And maybe you're better off as a specialist because you're really good at one thing and maybe you don't need to worry about everything else to be even better at that one thing. And maybe that's the perfect situation for Bruce here maybe you just don't want to deal with it. Like there's a lot of crap that you have to do as a coach. There's a lot of, a lot of logistical things. You got to figure out, you know, when you got to set the practice schedule, you got to you set the travel schedule. Like you got to do all this. Why not just, why not just be an offensive guru? Nothing falls through the cracks. You get to focus on, on coaching and, and scheming the best, some of the best offensive talent in the league has seen in years. Just why not do that? It'd be fun. It, and you have to do it for your hometown team. Like, I'm not seeing any downsides here. Leave it to Sheldon to do all that. Uh, exactly. You know, all, all the grunt work. Administrative stuff. Yeah, the grunt mm-hmm. work. Let's leave it there. Uh, we're going to be back before the end of the week, and we're going to talk about probably the second round in full. I don't know if every series will be done, but it's trending, toward, it's trending toward the fact that we're going to have all of our matchups set here pretty soon. Uh, so let's leave it there, and we'll reconvene a little bit later in the week. Uh, other than that, you know, let's just – just keep working on our condo here and trying to get in a better place and feel better about ourselves and breathe in less dust. That's, that's all I'm trying to do. Wow. Wise words, wise words. Um, that's bye. it. <laughs>